He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, he's outspoken. You will tell your kids, and your grandkids, and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise, and he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. here right here and right now welcome into the triple threat podcast episode number 78 of this glorious triple threat podcast if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always i'm joined by my tag team partner on the two-man power trip the one and only jp john paz and on this show we are also joined by the conductor the leader of the black and gold express he is the one and only franchise shane douglas Shane, welcome into episode number 78. Hi. <laughs> people, people always say I can't answer something in a brief way, right? That was that hi. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> so, hmm. Let's roll to 78. We're in number 78. Let's do it. Yeah, 78. We're going to start hot and heavy here in a minute. And Shane, you know, I'd like to uh, start off saying something clever. I'd like to tie something into your career if I can. But, you know, I was just taking a look at your very accurate Wikipedia, which I know you love so much. And it's always filled with nothing but uh, true instances of your career happening on it. But I got to say something here. Just looking at championships and titles and being that you're still active. And I just got sent a promo by JP the other day that you cut for an upcoming show. I got to say, and I'm not blowing smoke up your fanny. I think you might be the most decorated championship holding current wrestler wrestling on the circuit today. Well, that ain't hard to do when you're 96 years old. You know, <laughs> 96 years on this planet, you can you can amass quite a few titles. But yeah, I, honestly, I, I I couldn't even tell you what ballpark. I have no idea what. I mean, obviously the major ones, but the number of titles that sort of it, 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 it beckons me back when I was a kid breaking into the business. Uh, actually, before I got my break in the business, when I met Eddie Gilbert. And the uh, UWF guys had come up uh, on a tour. I think it was like a week, week and a half long tour that Dominic had promoted in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia. And uh, Chris Adams, first time I met Chris Adams, he was one of the guys that Bill Watts had sent up. And he was carrying a camera with him. And he was taking pictures every day and saying that he wanted to document like, you know, he said, you know, 30 years from now, I would be able to look back and remember the places I'd been to. And 
that's a pretty cool idea. And, you know, at once you start on the road and you're going 900,000 directions at one time, I thought, like, you know, this is impossible. You can't, you know, you're trying to keep your receipts straight for the IRS. You're trying to, uh, uh, you know, remember what city you're in at some point, uh, trying to figure out a place on the road to get your clothes washed, you know, stuff like that, the, the realities of life. And, uh, but looking back, I'm kicking myself in the ass that I didn't. You know, because, uh, like, there's honestly, there's things on online that people will post, hey, today's the 20th or 25th anniversary of this or whatever. And when I read it, it, it spurs the memory. But, uh, you know, there's other times, several episodes ago, when we were talking about the, uh, when I wrestled Bam Bam and WWF, uh, I don't remember, I, I have zero recollection of that. I, it, it's just not there. And, you know, I don't know if that's because later in ECW, what we did in ECW or whatever, but I, I wish I had taken Chris Adams' uh, advice and documented my career because there, you know, it's been, I, I've been very blessed and fortunate that I've had the length of career that I've had and I've had the career, the opportunities that I've had, uh, you know, and, 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 and met the fans that I have. Uh, you know, for me, this has been, a joyride that is, you know, keeps on going, but, uh, you know, it's, like I said, there, there are parts of it that just, as far as a memory in, in, in my, uh, non-subconscious brain, it's just not there on some of this stuff. I, you know, and it's just because I think the length of time, but, uh, you know, I, I have, you're right. I, a long way, way to get back to your original, uh, comment. Uh, I, I have, amassed a few titles in my career <laughs> yeah just a couple but it's cool to see you know obviously a map of a lot of the old territories but you know i don't know if a lot of people don't remember or they weren't watching at the time but especially after wcw closed uh you were pretty much the the top get to to have on your card and and you see a lot of championships headed your way and you see a lot of these leagues that just started to experiment with dvd recording stuff and when those pop up on youtube you get to see some of these championship matches that you had and it's uh i don't know it's it's pretty cool but like i said i think it might be the most decorated active wrestler currently working as you uh you've got stuff coming up we'll talk about that at the end of the show but yeah i'm not trying to i'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass but i was uh just impressed to hell as your co-host when when is your contract coming up to the uh, podcast <laughs> it's, uh, it's next week isn't it <laughs> Uh, I love you. That's all I could say. But let's we're going to get into this really hot and heavy quick because this topic, I feel like, will take up a lot of time. And we got a few things we're going to hit on in this show. So I'm going to hand it over to JP to kind of steer the ship in the direction that we're going to head into uh, for the next little bit. Because I know JP's been chomping at the bit to talk to Shane about this topic. Sounds good. <laughs> that sounds it, loaded. It is, it is a couple weeks old as far as, as newsworthy, but... I know since you're good buddies with Road Warrior Animal, and this was a hot-button topic, I felt like it definitely needs to bring it back up and needs to ask you your opinion on it. But he had a little bit of a war of words, if you will, with WWE <laughs> a superstar Becky Lynch. And obviously he was kind of basically saying she should back off the man nickname and just be a pure baby face. Uh, he said people can see right through it. Uh, they've never been in a real fight. Things, things of that nature. Did you see any of this? What were your kind of feelings if, if you did indeed see any of this interaction between Bronewar Animal and Becky Lynch? I, I 
scanned it very quickly uh, based off the run sheet for this week's show. I had heard uh, a few of my friends had texted me and said, hey, did you hear what, you know, about Joe? And I just, uh, I, I think, you know, my quick take on it is that, uh, yeah, there there are some of us that are verbose and others that aren't. Uh, Joe oftentimes uh, reacts out of out of emotion, and uh, you know. But let's let's preface this whole discussion with: it's pretty hard to argue with the success the road warriors have had. You know, so you know that's not in my experience. There's there it's it's pretty unlikely it's coincidence or just luck to have that length of a career and that impactful of a career. I, I can still remember as a kid watching, you know, the Superstation show, 605 on Saturday nights. Uh, I had read about the Road Warriors prior to that. and But to see them, you know, and you hear those first few chords of Iron Man hit, uh, they were just about as big as you can get in the business. You know, so I think sometimes, especially when you're having this generational discussion, right? Today's generation versus Joe's generation, my generation, uh, that sometimes people talk past each other. And I've always tried to figure out the, the best way to talk in a way that we can understand each other as opposed to just talking past each other. Because when you do that, nobody's listening to anything. And it just becomes a, hey, fuck you, fuck you at some point, uh, very quickly. Um, I think in the few comments that I had read, it seemed to me that the point that Joe was trying to make, uh, he may not have made as eloquently as he could have. But, you know, his point well taken, I mean... Understand that, like the, his generation, again, my generation, we were in the same generation. He's a little bit older than me. Uh, but our success in the ring was based off of what was coming in the door tonight. What were the ratings on the pay per view? Uh, you know, what was the ratings on the last week's TV episode and the segment that you were in? So it was a pretty quick turnaround as to whether or not you were worth the money you were being paid and whether or not the promotion would continue to push you. And uh, I think what's happening here in the discussion, again, in the scant comments that I read back and forth between the, those two, is that they're both talking from their own base camps. You know, So I understand what Joe's saying, because I was there and lived it. Um, but I also can see the point that she's making uh, based off of, what we see in the industry today, but the industry today versus the industry then are like, you know, the NFL and tiddlywinks, uh, you, you know, uh, somebody is playing in a third grade play, uh, versus the King of Hollywood or Queen of Hollywood. Uh, they, they really are two very vastly different, uh, uh, genres, you know, so, you know, they're, they're both making valid points. And again, like I said a minute ago, talking right past each other, if this just becomes a, you know, hey, you know, two and two is 26. And fuck you if you don't understand that. You know, it's it's pretty hard to make any, any leeway, but, uh, you know, it, it, seemed, 
it seems to me like like a, a very strange conversation. You know that that's you know you know if we're going to talk about mm, let's say roses, okay? I don't know the first damn thing about roses, but I just popped in my head. Uh, if we're going to talk about roses, the first thing I'm going to do is bone up on roses and and uh, you know talk to people that I know know roses. Uh, both of these. Uh, you know, Joe and Becky Lynch are both, you know, from their own base camps, thinking they have a pretty strong grasp and command of what it is they're talking about, and they probably both do. But if you're talking about roses and I'm talking about petunias, we're going to talk right past each other. You know, it's uh, and again, they may they may be genetically the same, you know, one gene away from each other. I don't know. I'm just popping those two things in my head as names of flowers. Uh, Am I making sense? Like, yes. You know, yep. it seems to me that they're like talking right past each other, as opposed to trying to find the common ground, which I think is a huge part of what's wrong with the business today. Is that you know that everybody's just going off on their own thing, and they're listening to you know this twenty-four-year-old writer who has all the best intentions, I'm sure but doesn't know the first damn thing about the business. And uh, the other entity is coming from, in this case, animals coming from a place where the business was pretty much chiseled out of the stone. And you, you knew your spot, you knew your role, you knew where you were on the card. Uh, it, you know, but again, it's comparing roses to petunias. And it's as long as they continue on that tangent, they're going to continue talking past each other. Also, which was a funny line uh, that Becky Lynch put, because some dirt she had a headline like, Road Warrior Animal thinks Becky Lynch should back off or something like that. And Becky said the first four words are a, are a lie. So Road Warrior Animal thinks is a lie. <laughs> very funny yeah. line. You know, obviously in, in, can in play with her character, too. So, you know, very funny line. And Road Warrior Animal came back and said, you know, you kind of um, – or taking one bit. I said, you're the best female wrestler today. And, you know, the different um, places, obviously, um, are looking for salacious headlines at different dirt sheets and different wrestling yep. websites. They wanted to kind of make it play one guy off of another. In this instance, play one man off of one female. So do you think that that has a lot to do, a lot to do with it as well, that they're both kind of reading sure. headlines, not really listening or reading the interviews? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, you know, the, the two of them are feeding uh, sites and sheets and, and people a way to make money. And, you know, they, they again, are talking right past each other. It, 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 it's comical to me in, in one sense that, you know, so this is what we've devolved to, right? So now instead of having a conversation like we are right now, from now on, just, you know, send me your questions via whatever site or sheet and then I'll respond to a couple words that you say in that and we'll just keep scuttling scuttling it back and forth between us like that. My guess would be that the conversation would probably be pretty convoluted uh, and, and rarely hit the point. Um, but, you know, when you know, I, I had a thought in my head there for a second and it's gone, but it'll pop in a second. Uh, but when you're doing this, if, if I'm just going to base, you know, my comments back to you off of two or three or four words or, 
you know, some kind of like, what's the best gotcha line I can hit you with? Uh, again, completely missing the relevance of the conversation. I, I one thing I can tell you about, I, I've known Joe for a long time. Uh, Joe's not a guy that just goes out and criticizes. He's not going to go out and just say, Hey, you know, saying you suck. That, that's not Joe's MO. Um, if he's saying something to you, it's because he's trying to be helpful in some way. Uh, whether he, uh, uh, articulate on that properly uh you know something we can all argue over, over that you know how somebody articulates a point but you can see that again and I'm, I'm 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 my my input on this is based off of me reading you know five six seven minutes worth of back and forth between these two but you know it, the responses back were like okay, like like the first the, the first take the first four words of that comment. Okay, it's cute, you know, it's got a bit of a bite to it. Um, but ultimately, is it is is it endearing her to anybody, especially Road Warrior fans? Is it giving her uh, access to somebody who may be able to teach her some a thing or two, uh, or is is it just become I'm going to go to the writers and get, you know, some kind of spiffy or come off the top of my head or whatever, little, you know, little jab that I can hit you with that, you know, depending on your generation, you know, somebody that's, I'm guessing, 25 to 30 down is going to side with Becky Lynch. Somebody 25, 30 and up might side with Joe. So, again, talking right past each other. There's no, there's nobody moving the needle. Uh, It's just, you take a slap at me, I'll take a slap at you, and then I'll you slap back at me, and I'll slap back at you again. Uh, to me, I, I just I, I'm way too busy <laughs> to get bogged down in that kind of a conversation. It ain't a conversation. It, it's it's a Twitter war, it's a Facebook war that is putting money in somebody else's pocket and doing nothing for my career. And I would say doing nothing for either of these two's career. It's just, you know, it's just keep on flapping. And, you know, eventually this one will stop or that one will stop. And then when they do, the, the other, each of them will think, see, I won that. He, he backed out. She backed out. Uh, it's what is the goddamn point? <laughs> you know, what really, where is this going? Like, what's the, are we going to solve cure cancer with this? Are we going to solve the border? situation with this are we going to uh you know uh reopen the government tomorrow with this it's just conversation for conversation that everybody's taking claims on as if any of those problems are going to be solved by it (laughs) news flash to everybody involved on both sides nothing's getting resolved over this it's just a conversation of two people speaking right past each other now, obviously, Road War Animal, one of the biggest stars in the history of the business, you kind of alluded to before, the Road Warrior pop, that yeah. kind of, uh, you know, then be able, able to draw a huge crowd and huge numbers. And then I always hear the uh, Becky Lynch, Steve Austin comparisons, which I chuckle and I laugh because they literally make no sense whatsoever because <laughs> Steve, Steve Austin um, alone sold probably like a billion T-shirts. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and Becky Lynch kind of hasn't even sold that many yet. I mean, I'm sure it's good for today's standards or for WWE standards now as they're not as popular. Steve Austin was drawing the biggest houses of all time, making all this money. Uh, Becky Lynch, not so much. And SmackDown uh, tarps off half the arena. Uh, they're only getting 2 million uh, viewers or less. Um, so I always think those comparisons kind of make no sense. It's funny. Do you ever just, you know, read some of the stuff and just think that these fans or these media or this uh, dirty whoever is putting this stuff out there about Becky Lynch making comparisons to Steve Austin? It's kind of a tad bit ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's, it's a definite stretch. I mean, re- remember, you know, some time ago we spoke about, or I, I should say, I spoke about how you can't judge a century ago through 2019 eyes or part of the 2018 eyes at that point we're all uh, all of us are in the hearing now we're all relevant to the time frame that we're in so if we try to apply what is proper today versus 10 years ago 50 years ago 100 years ago or 200 years ago, thousand years ago uh not relevant and you know like today we see like the you know with the the whole Me Too movement and that sort of thing, which I think has, in, in many ways, uh, uh, been groundbreaking, right? You know, uh, until a certain point, you know, if if you know you wanted to be in the movie, there's more hearing with the whole Weinstein story, uh, and the dynamic has changed dramatically because of this. And at what point has a movement uh, reached the end of its usefulness? You know, so, and I'm not, I, I, please don't anybody say, because you know, I just mentioned me too now in that comment, put the two together. But if, if suddenly we could snap our fingers and say zero sexual harassment would ever go on again, uh, nothing bad like that would ever happen, no one would ever take advantage of anybody. See, does anybody here think the Me Too movement would say, Okay, hey, we did our job. Let's back it up and all go home. Uh, you know, organizational Behavior 101. The, Amer- the American Cancer Society, the American Heart Association, uh, fill in the blank of whatever organization you want to. There is no organization that endeavors to put themselves out of business. They'll say it publicly they do. But... How many people does the American Heart Association employ, the American Cancer Society, and all the rest of them? Nobody endeavors to put themselves out of business and say, hey, tomorrow I can wave a magic wand and solve the problem I've been working on and put myself and all my friends and everybody, all my coworkers out of business. Uh, It's just, you know, (laughs) I I hate to be the bearer of bad news to anybody out there that thinks that, that this is incorrect google organizational behavior and you'll see what i'm talking about uh there's no entity that wishes to put themselves out of business so again if we could go and say suddenly we're going to eliminate all sexual harassment and you know all the rest of the things would that movement now be ended would they wake up tomorrow or a week or a month or a year from now and say, hey, we did our job, it worked, it's resolved, and move on. Uh, but this is, I think, a part of what's playing in here, you know, that you've got 
Joe Lord artist, a man, is talking to a woman in the business today. Two different generations, decades apart. Uh, and, and several of the comments that I was reading online, it was coming from that vantage point. How dare you say this about her? You know, it, it just this sort of undertow of political correctness. And, you know, to me, we, we've spoken at length about this on the podcast in previous episodes. Uh, I'm somebody who is very cautious about impeding anybody's First Amendment right. You know, it's, I'm a big boy. Uh, I've taken a lot of criticism in my life and in my career. Uh, I can take more, uh, and I'm sure I will. But, you know, for all this feigned outrage today that, you know, I'm offended by what you said or by what you did or whatever, uh, you know, so who gets to be the arbiter of that? Who gets to be the arbiter of what you said to me is out of bounds? But what I say to you is perfectly okay. Uh, and when we start getting into that kind of a gray area, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of people get burned in that. And I would suggest that our society has got to proceed very, very cautiously. When I hear 2020 presidential hopefuls talking about our Constitution may not work anymore, uh, Wow. Wow. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that would have immediately, as soon as you released that comment, ended your political career and should have. Uh, you know, there's a there's a there's a, a very clear pathway. If you think the Constitution is not working, the founding fathers were so brilliant 230 some odd years ago, 36, 37, after I lose track of the time. But there is a very clear pathway towards changing and amending that constitution to make it applicable to contemporary times. It's a very high bar, uh, you know, intentionally so that we didn't just willy nilly change this thing every six months and, and, and really louse it up like we did with the prohibition. But if you, you know, Beto O'Rourke is who we're talking about make this comment about the Constitution may not work anymore. Well, Mr. O'Rourke, I would say then go out and push for whatever constitutional amendment you think is necessary to change it. And if you can get two-thirds of state legislatures to vote uh, in support of it, you've probably done a pretty good thing. You'll certainly get out in the history books. But just to make a comment like, hey, let's just rip the document up and throw it out because I don't think it works anymore. Well, I sort of disagree. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure there's other people out there that would. But, you know, all of these things, you know, we, we could probably talk for 96 hours straight on this stuff. I'll leave it at this. When some individual or some entity or some group decides, I have the moral high ground, and I'm going to get to be the arbiter of what you say and pass judgment on you. But don't you for a second try to think you can do the same thing back to me. Don't you try to turn this around and say, you get to be the arbiter and judger of what I say. Uh, I don't know about you guys. That terrifies me. Terrifies me. Uh, hey, if I get to be the guy that's sitting at the top, 
making all the decisions. Great, let's do it now. Let's pass the law now that Shane Douglas gets to decide for here evermore what is right and what is incorrect. Uh, I doubt you guys would like that. I doubt very many of our listeners would like that. Uh, hell, my mother or father, if they were alive, probably wouldn't like that. Uh, it's a slippery slope. And those, the, the, thing, the things that we had, the, the protections that we have built into the Constitution, uh, safeguard against those very things. And yet we hear people daily today arguing that, no, it shouldn't be like that. I ought to be able to pass judgment on you, and that's, that's it. Uh, very, very scary. As far as Becky goes, she's probably the greatest all-around performer as far as the females are concerned. And if you argue she's not the best in WWE, maybe she's top three or top five, but she's up there. She's, you know, she's got all the skill. But let me throw a little curveball at you. She she's definitely over with the crowd. Not saying that, that you know they they have this huge crowd and all of a sudden she's bringing in new fans. She's just over with the fans that they have now. She's super over. But cosmetically speaking, obviously, and and, and she has said it, and different people have said it. You know, she could probably be a model if she wasn't a wrestler. You know, she she's got this certain look. And a lot of the male wrestlers, you know, the Finn Balors of the world and guys like that, like oh, okay, you know, they have a certain look where they. Oh, this guy, you know, he could be a model or something like that. So I'm not just saying, oh, she's good looking, that's why she's over. But I'm saying, cosmetically speaking, do you think that helps her with this this whole this whole push? Because Charlotte Flair hasn't really gotten over to the extent that uh, Becky's gotten over, and you know, Oscar really hasn't gotten over to this extent. Do you think that that also plays a, a role in, in some of these um, different guys getting over? Because it seems like with these new wrestling fans. You know, they pretend that, that you know, the old looks don't matter and it's all about skill and blah, blah, But it kind of tends to lean towards that old thing where where the look and, and you know, maybe even the charisma kind of sticks out above not just the quote-unquote, just the gimmick. Well, let me ask you, I'll, ask, I'll answer a question with a question back. How many commercials do you see on TV today? Uh, Hawking, Clorox, uh Kleenex tissues, uh, XYZ powder, whatever. I mean, fill in the blank. But how many people do you see on those commercials that are fat, out of shape, not very attractive? Uh, <laughs> very few, if any, right? Uh, and mm -hmm. the reason being is because it's a huge plus. If guys like us are sitting around and we see a beautiful woman on screen, Rob's going to pay attention. More so than if we see some fat dude with a pimple on his chin. Um, that's just marketing 101. And, you know, so there's no question that, you know, her being a very attractive woman certainly plays to her, to her uh, strengths, right? I mean, it, it's one of her strengths. But, again, now we are, so you're going to sit today and people looking at, like in this discussion with Joe Larnatis to, to Becky, so... Now you're going to have a discussion of, you know, 20-something-year-olds or 15-year-olds or whatever, but much younger people seeing her in a very, in a contemporary setting. So she's on TV now and, you know, she's on their, on their network and, uh, you know, the, the lighting's all perfect, the hair's perfect, the, you know, the hair and makeup department's done their job. Uh, and you're going to look at 
pictures of Joe, and some will go back and watch videos of the Road Warriors, uh, but they're going to see an older guy, right, who's past his prime. He's no longer in the position. And so which one of those two entities would you want selling your shampoo that you created? Right. You know, obviously, it's a huge asset. It obviously plays in uh, to the discussion. Uh, to me, discussion on, on any substantive topic should have nothing to do with aesthetics. It should have everything to do with the, the, the points and counterpoints in the discussion. Not saying that either side is right or wrong. I'm not taking a position on that. I'm just saying that answering your question, you know, how many uh, people that are watching, that are involved in that discussion, uh, I have no idea. But what is the breakdown of demographics? Are they, is it 50 50? Uh, age 35 and up and 34 and down? It, I'm sure some larger breakdown of the demographic, obviously. Uh, but if you go to a, like my son, 13 years old, I'm sure he would have a much better idea who Becky Lynch is as opposed to, I mean, who Road Warrior Animal is. He knows, my, to, to be clear, my son knows who the Road Warriors are. Uh, he's met Joe and been around, but, you know, his generation, I'd be willing to bet that a far, far greater percentage of the kids in his generation would know Becky as opposed to know Joe. Um, and if you're putting it out there like, hey, these two are arguing, who are you going to side with? Um, a far greater percentage of those kids are going to side with the younger, more attractive woman that they see on TV on a weekly basis as opposed uh, to the older guy they see on YouTube and hasn't wrestled in 20 years. Um, again, the point is both camps, whether it's the individuals or people taking sides in this discussion are talking right past each other. One's talking black and one's talking white or pink and chartreuse or whatever. So somebody didn't come back and say, I'm making it a racial thing. Uh, the two camps are, are what they are. There's nobody on her side of the discussion going to change their mind regardless of whatever facts are portrayed and there's nobody on joe's side of the argument that's going to change their mind uh i i I find it hard to believe that a road warrior fan would say you know what screw it i've listened to the argument becky's right and screw joe larnettis and i doubt that any becky lynch fans are going to say hey you know what i heard joe's argument i've been i've researched it He's right. Screw Becky. I'm going to go with Joe. Uh, two trains passing in the night, talking right past each other. And when you do that, it's my experience that little gets. When, when my ex-wife and I used to have those kinds of discussions, <laughs> which is why we are now ex-wife and ex-husband. Um, <laughs> it doesn't work. It's not going to work. Um, and I think that is far too prevalent in today's society. That 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 attitude. Uh, I can't talk to you. I'm not going to try to to validate my point. I'm just going to attack you, and you know, make some comments about you, and and slap back. You know, it's like jab. What I was, was called jab slapping, right? You know, so you you know, you sort of slap at each other, and and, and you know, you make these comments, and uh, uh, 
Uh, you know, it's like who gets the best singer. And when you do that, you're not changing anybody's mind. You're not, uh, uh, you're not validating the argument. You just for points. And, you know, that's what we've become as a society, uh, which I think is a, is a big part of the problem. I think that has been what we've become as a society, as opposed to having real articulation of discussion and uh, on points and on facts and on relevance. It's now just become, uh, I'm just going to throw this zinger at you and wait for the zinger you throw back at me, and I'll respond to your zinger with another zinger. And where does that get us? Whose mind is that changing? The train's passing in the night. I love that some of these fans uh, won't admit, like, oh, they like Becky because, uh, you know, they think she's pretty or, or the, you know, stuff like that. They have to be so, like, politically correct. Like, no, we like her. Like, it is funny and, and kind of uh, absolutely ridiculous. Um, the way like that, that you know, a lot of these newer fans and these millennials and they kind of like talk and act. And I just think it's pretty silly, especially that argument was kind of silly. And then trying to pick one side or the other. The other thing I want to throw at you is, you know, just from talking to people that were high ranking officials in the WB. And, you know, obviously we do a lot of shows, um, me and Chad, we do a lot of autograph signings and obviously you're, you're at some of these things and we do a lot of guys and they could be, current WB, um, you know, guys, whether they work there, agents, whatever, or they could be X guys that were in top positions. And they always say that there's a certain tune in factor. And they basically were saying when you're kind of going through the channels and you're going through the channels and you're not necessarily wanting to just watch wrestling, maybe you're turning on football, you're turning on whatever they say, it's like the tune in factor or the tune away factor or whatever you want to call it. Basically it's, you're going through the TV and you see somebody pop on the screen and you stay on the screen. And they, they were basically saying that there's a couple of people that, you know, you just stay on the screen for, it could be a Cena or a Lesnar or an Undertaker. It's like you're just passing by and you see that. But then they said on the flip side, there is that females. You see certain females and certain men are going to say, oh, oh my God. You know, it's like, for instance, Alexa Bliss, Mandy Rose, Becky Lynch, like that kind of thing. So there is that tuning factor for the females. Do you think it's funny, though, that, these fans nowadays will say that's not true, but when they work in WB and, you know, people that are in the note, they say that is, that is still prevalent. That is still a factor. They, it's like the tune in factor or the, 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 uh, the click the people going through the channels. And it's like the stay factor where they're going through the channels. They see a certain person and they stay on that channel and they're watching wrestling because they see that person on screen. They want to watch that person. Yeah. Well, of course that's the thing. Uh, you know, and you're a fool if you believe it's not. Uh, like I said earlier with the commercial, you're not going to hire some fat, out of shape uh, person to hawk your new product you're trying to get over in your marketing. Um, here's here's the thing to me, and, and, and for some reason, this keeps beckoning in my head as as we're talking about this. Uh, something that endures the test of time uh, means it's relevant. It will always be relevant because uh, Mozart has been dead for how many <laughs> decades, how many hundreds of years, I mean, right? But his music is still relevant today and will always be relevant. Shakespeare has been dead for, what, 400 years, 300 years, and yet is still relevant today. Uh, staying power. 
Uh, Elvis Presley's been dead since 1977. A hundred years from now, people will still be listening to Elvis Presley. Staying power. Um, relevance over that time. Now, will he be bigger than some current pop star a hundred years from now? Probably not, because he's been dead for a hundred and forty years, uh, forty-two years. Um, but to have that kind of staying power and that kind of relevance over that kind of long of a period of time tells you that there's something valid about that that entity, about that product, about that entity, about that person whatever it may be. Um, but to try to argue something a hundred years from now being more or less relevant, better or worse than something from a hundred years before it is a fool's errand. You're never going to be able to do it because it's two completely different histories, two complete different sets of people looking at it. Uh, you know, like I, the, the, the point that I, it's popping into my head as I'm talking about this is, you know, Bruno San Martino is selling out, uh, sellout record uh, for arenas. You know, a, as somebody who's been a, a main eventer, a world champion, you know, it, the numbers astound me. Um, but the world is completely different. So it's like trying to compare, you know, a mastodon to an elephant. Uh, two completely different histories, two completely different contemporaries. And, you know, but when you say Bruno San Martino selling out, you know, a building consecutively for that long of a period of time, and like how amazing that is, and it is amazing in any era, but when you look at it today and think like, oh, come on, that can't be real. That's not a real number. It's not possible. Uh, because you're looking at it through contemporary eyes the time period we sit in and television is vastly different. Uh, media is vastly different. Uh, marketing is vastly different. So you, you can't compare two eras from two separate points of, uh, from two separate time frames, and say, well, yeah, but you know, he sold out a building 144 times in a row and somebody today hasn't done it more than six times or whatever. I don't know what the numbers are today. Uh, but again, it, it's, it's like comparing the, the old proverbial apples to oranges, right? It's because you can't, if you change, it's, it's like this old, uh, getting philosophical here for a second. It's like the old talk about time travel, right? I'm going to go back and I'm going to, you know, not kill that butterfly I killed when I was in third grade. And you have no idea how that's going to impact uh, you know, world history over people think, well, how, what would that change? Right. But when you go back and you change one thing like that, you have no idea how that's going to change, uh, you know, history a hundred years from now, 500 years from now, 10 years from then, you can't compare two eras and, you know, changing one variable a hundred years ago could have changed the world completely what we see it as today so you know it, it's like you're trying to compare two errors two things two entities that are in this case joe and becky talking right past each other as opposed to to each other and trying to find some common ground i would dare say that i i would 
bet that Joe Lornitis has a few things he could teach Becky. Uh, and I'm sure Joe could learn a few things from figuring out how's the best way to communicate in 2019. Doesn't make either of them right, doesn't make either of them wrong. But if you're talking 10 steps over that way, and I'm talking 10 steps over this way, and we're not talking anywhere near each other, the one thing that I'm certain of is no communication could take place. Just going to throw this random WWE stat out there for you as far as their YouTube views. So, Rey Mysterio versus Andrade Cien Almas had a great match on SmackDown. They put put it on YouTube. It has 380,000 views. Mandy Rose on SmackDown is in lingerie in Jimmy Uso's um, uh, hotel room. 1.6 million views. And then on Raw... Alexa Bliss gets rudely interrupted as she's topless in her locker room. 4.3 million views. So it just shows you, you know, the uh, the audience isn't exactly who they say they are, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and it validates and supports what I've been saying all along. Yeah, probably not the best words. Uh, yeah, it's just different, you know. You, you might go out tomorrow and try to sell whatchamacallits on the main street of any town USA and not sell one. And a week later, because of something that happened in the news or some story breaks, whatever, you, the same, you might take the same product out there and sell out before 10 o'clock in the morning. It's just everything is relevant to a certain point in time. You know, so... When anybody has a discussion, like right now, across the world, people are having a discussion about some news story that was in the news today. And there are decisions and businesses being made off of that news story. 24 hours from now, that story will be completely irrelevant. And the decisions that are being made right now, as applies to 24 hours from now, and the quantum changes that can take place in 24 hours... Uh, could completely make or break you trying to sell those whatchamacallits on Main Street USA. Uh, it's it, it, again, it's a fool's errand. But you know, so often we see this, right? Uh, to me, like we we have a major talent in the WWE today, in Becky Lynch, and you have you know one of the biggest names in the history of wrestling with the road warriors and animal instead of talking past each other and just trying to see who can throw the best zinger uh, instead of communicating. And it seems to me, and I'm not, I haven't spoken to Joe, I haven't seen Joe since WrestleCade, but it seems to me like, in the, again, those few comments that I did take, get a chance to look at. That's what it sounds to me like Joe's trying to do with, you know, with his last comeback, you know, there's, there's obviously going to be a compunction to say, well, she hit me with a zinger, and so I've got to slap back to sort of stand my ground. Uh, and as soon as that becomes the narrative, as soon as that becomes the thought in the communication, the communication is not happening. Now it's, oh, really? She said that about me? Well, here, here's this. Oh, he said that about me? Well, here's that. And they just keep throwing these comments back and forth 
And, you know, Becky's going to have the upper hand because she's a contemporary talent. And, you know, in, in the world of the Me Too movement and everything else, there's going to be a, a general consensus of people want to decide on that, that side because of political correctness. How about instead of that, instead of one-upsmanship and whataboutisms, how about we communicate to each other and maybe, just maybe, in that communication, she may learn something about becoming a better talent and he may learn something from her point of view uh, in relation to that. Because right now, I can assure you, as again, off those comments that I've read, neither of them is hearing either or the other. You know, neither is hearing what the other has to say. It's just now got to keep on throwing these uh, slaps back and forth to try to score some points with the people that may be listening. Uh, communicate, people. Communicate. My, my 10th grade teacher used to say, uh, profanity is a sign of a mental cripple. Funny coming from me, right? The franchise. But, hmm. uh, you, you know, if, if, if that's all you're going to do is just relegate yourself to the lowest common denominator, okay? Every F word and whatever else. When there are words, like she say, words matter. There are words that you can enunciate if you're intelligent enough to make your point much clearer, much stronger, much better than just, hey, fuck this, fuck that, that's going to help. Uh, use your words. Use the big boys and big girls' words and communicate. Yeah, so uh, with all that being said, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about a lot of your friends, but Shane, I want to flip the script on you here, and we're going to take a walk back down franchise memory lane to kind of go into the second part of the show here. Now, I wrote this this down in the headline as Jim Cornette versus Shane Douglas. Now, that might sound salacious to some people, but I'm not trying to uh, start any feuds. I want to take it. Uh, a little bit of a journey back in the old time machine, back to Peoria, Illinois, on December 14th, 1989, a build Shane Douglas versus Jim Cornette, no disqualification match. My goodness gracious. What? So, so, Shane, I came, yeah. across, I, I came across this match while we were on our little holiday break. Uh, I had never seen it before, although I, you know, obviously have seen a lot of the Dynamic Dudes, Midnight Express, Jim Cornette saga. Uh, never seen this little chapter from it, so this was pretty cool to uh, to check out. So the matches to take place, like I said, in Peoria, Illinois. It ended up being you versus Stan Lane uh, due to an unfortunate injury uh, to Mr. Cornette where he, quote, dropped the soap in the shower, bending over to uh, pick it up. So, uh... <laughs> That's a hell of an injury there. But yeah, I just want to take a walk back down memory lane. Do you remember this match? Obviously, the, the feud itself was uh, was pretty big for you at that point in your career. But do you remember uh, being able to get your hands on Mr. Cornette, whom you d- did end up defeating with a, uh, a very uh, perfectly executed Shane Douglas power slam? <laughs> I do. I, I remember the, uh, the angle there. The, there was a lot of stuff that went into that angle. Uh, from behind the scenes, when you first sent that on the run sheet, I thought you were talking about the the, the, the match where uh, he came to the ring and had all the 
padding on him, you know, had, you know, had all the gimmicks in his pocket and everything. Uh, but as soon as I started watching the, 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 the link and the YouTube link and, uh, the, the match came back immediately with Stan Lane and, uh, uh, I, I couldn't have told you it was Peoria, Illinois, but I, you know, I, I do remember the match. Um, and you know, it, it uh, when you go back to me, my takeaway from that when I was watching it was everything we see missing in the business today. So you have uh, a manager in Jim Cornette who could talk his ass off and really generate some serious heat in the building uh, on the television show, whatever I, you know, one thing about Jim Cornette is many fans love him today because of his history. He wasn't a much-loved character back then. Uh, I bet to say that most people in the building that could have gotten their hands on him would probably killed him uh, because he was so damn good at what he did. Uh, one of the best ever. And when you see that storyline, how it plays out, and, you know, without boring everybody with the history between the Midnight Express and uh, the dynamic dudes and, and Jim Cornette and, you know, the whole thing. Uh, for those that do know it, if you don't, go back and, 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 and review it on YouTube and, and other places. But for those that are familiar with it, uh, know what I'm talking about and saying that, you know, it, it demonstrated all that was best about the business then. It wasn't, hey, here's uh, Jim Cornette screwing the dynamic dudes in week one. In week two, here's the dynamic dudes trying to fight back. In week three, here's uh, the Midnight Express getting their heat back. And in week four, here we are at a pay-per-view, and the dynamic dudes win or they lose. Uh, Midnight Express wins or they lose. And now they go and they wrestle the Road Warriors, and dynamic dudes go and wrestle you know, the, the New Zealand, uh, uh, what were they called, the New Zealand Express, uh, the New Zealand Militia, the New Zealand Militia. Um, you know, that, which is what we see today, right? It's, here's a storyline that we're going to start tonight, the genesis of tonight. It may have some tendrils back to some other history, but here's the angle we start tonight. And when's the next big pay-per-view? Two weeks from now, three weeks from now, we blow it off and then we go to something else. Um, you know, the, the business, uh, and, and, and again, like I said earlier about the, the Becky and, and, and Joe thing, you know, it's the world is vastly different today. But the arguments that I hear counter saying, well, yeah, but, you know, you, you can't do it like that anymore because, you know, the network and you can't do it like that anymore because of a lot of events. And you can't do it anymore like that because, 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 because there's a thousand reasons because uh, to me, all of them point back to all the reasons you should be doing it like it was done before. Uh, you know, with the pay-per-view being every, what, three, four weeks. Um, so we started, there's a genesis of a storyline and an angle tonight. And the pay-per-views, we'll say, is in three or four weeks. What is, where is it written in stone? That we that the audience has to be given a final blow off to that angle by the time that pay per view or at least during that pay per view comes off. Uh, you know, 
Steve Austin said it, you know, uh, they want to get something over, they'll dump gasoline on it. But what he meant by that is, when that pay-per-view comes around, why not dump gasoline on that and rev it up even more? Uh, look at when the, the Taz Sabu angle in the ECW. Uh, it was, what, I think 14 or 15 months between the time that that angle storyline began, when Sabu couldn't get back from Japan, until they were finally standing face-to-face at their legal. And when that happened, the moment they're standing face-to-face in the ring, I'm up in the crow's nest watching through the curtain. Uh, I can't. I never liked watching a monitor at a live event because it's so sterile. You can't get a feel for the audience. So I would always go up and watch, you know, from some bow of the building, you know, like where the fans couldn't see me. And, you know, not to, to blow smoke up either Taz's or Sabu's ass, there was electricity in the building that night. And the only time previous in my career I had ever seen or felt that kind of electricity was uh, when Hulkamania was at its biggest, you know, when it was still pretty new and, you know, Hulkamania was running wild, brother, right? I used to get done wrestling, get my shower and get the hell up into the building because I wanted to feel Hogan's entrance. Um, That was the same thing, very close, that I saw with Taz and Sabu. Well, if we were doing it then, like they're doing it now, Sabu would have missed that show because he couldn't get back from Japan. Three weeks later at the next DCW Arena show, we would have filmed the confrontation. And three weeks or six weeks after that, we'd had the blow off. And I would make the argument that it's pretty unlikely that you would have felt that static electricity in the air if we had done it that quickly. A, the storyline, we gave the storyline enough time to breathe and ferment, uh, and it did over those 14 or 15 months, to where those fans were so involved in the storyline that they couldn't wait to see those two stand face-to-face. There are probably a lot of them, a vast number of them, that didn't believe they would ever be face-to-face. And so when they finally did stand face-to-face, it created literally electricity in the air. Um, that's what we're missing today. So when you go and you look at you know a storyline that's presented and blown off in two or three weeks or four or five or six weeks and never given a chance to breathe or ferment, uh, it's it's a big, big part of what I think is wrong with the business today. Nothing is given the chance to reach maturation. It's just, let's hurry up and get to this and move beyond it. And same thing then, like with Midnight Express and, and the Dynamic Dudes. A, for us, you know, being two kids, it was a great learning experience. So we're working with an incredible team and, and Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane and with an incredible mind, and Jim Cornette, you know, for me as a kid at that point, when you watch that, that, that link, uh, for me, what's going through my head as I'm having that match with Stan is that what an incredible learning opportunity this is, you know, that, you know, I didn't for a second think or believe that we were on their level. 
But if we were going to get to their level, that was one of the things that was going to help us get to that level was working with them. And I think, you know, a big part of that is missing today. Um, as far as uh, the, the slam on Jim, uh, when I watched that link, it's, uh, it's, like I said earlier, like stuff is not there for instant access, but in watching it, like I was right back in that moment when I picked him up for that slam because, uh, he, you know, let's just say Jim isn't the most athletic guy, right? It's, it's <laughs> not like you got Bobby Eaton in there or whatever. Uh, and, but when it came to stuff like that, uh, an integral spot, a finish in a match. Jim was 1,000% committed to it. And he didn't go in there and sort of half-ass it or lag it or lead-weight it. Uh, he went in there and was committed to it and placed his trust in me that I could do it as a young, snot-nosed kid and not hurt him. You know, that, that if he's going to commit his body to me, that this snot-nosed kid ain't going to fuck it up. And, you know, for me, looking back at it now, especially today, uh, looking back at this history lesson that, that I'm giving this, in this episode, uh, incredibly much appreciated. And, you know, a big thank you to, to Bobby and Stan and, and Jim for having taken the time to, to teach us and allow us to learn from them. Uh, because there was an awful lot for us to learn, and there was a, an even greater amount that they could teach us. So, you know, it, it wasn't at any point us thinking like, hey, we're the next big thing, and you know, these guys are yesterday's news. <laughs> we're going to walk right past them. Hell with that. I, you know, I want to work with these guys as long as I can, as long as we can, and learn as much as we possibly can from working with them. And... uh it was a lot of fun watching that, you know, take, taking me back. And, you know, like the, for, the problem for me now in, in watching like old, old clips like that is, you know, the, uh, the veteran in me keeps on coming out in my head. And so I'm watching me, oh, shit, you did this wrong. You did that wrong. You know, why'd you turn that way? Uh, you know, why didn't you do this or that or the other thing at whatever point? But they're always fun to watch those, especially things like that that you haven't seen. You know, like how many times I've seen the NWA belt throw down, right? Ten gazillion times. <laughs> uh, something like that you don't see that often. And so watching it and snapping back in that moment uh, is a hell of a lot of fun. I can see that maybe in a Friday night for the three of us uh, in the near future if it brought back such uh, great, uh, <laughs> great, great memories yeah. for you. A couple pizzas and yeah. uh, brewskis and a triple threat podcast meeting. But you know, it's funny. There's a, there's one thing I want to bring up after this point. But uh, you you and Cornette, obviously, you know, two very outspoken individuals, and especially at that time, you guys were in such a transition because of what was going on politically in WCW and what was going on with Jim Hurd and you had your problems with Hurd and Cornette has his problems with Hurd. But uh, the two of you being so close in age and having such, you know, I, I would say a, a unique relationship post WCW in 1989, looking at Cornette as the veteran at that point, because I mean, you were still, you were wrestling for a few years, but Cornette, I mean, like, 
the territories that yeah. he hit in that span from when he started in 82 to 89. Right. Did, did you look at Cornette kind of for some, you know, guidance because he had been so well-traveled himself over that short period of time? Hell yes. I mean, again, like before, you know, as I was breaking into the business, I don't remember, you know, like where Jim was before TBS, uh, but I do know that TBS came in Pittsburgh. We got cable in my town around 85, 86. And, excuse me, prior to that, I was able to only read about the NWA. And now suddenly, you know, we have a super station at 605 being the wrestling mark that I was and am. You know, now I was suddenly able to watch Harley Race and Ric Flair and the Midnight Express and and, 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 you know, fill in the blank. It was like finding uh, Pandora's box. You know, like suddenly I can find all this incredible stuff that I couldn't access before. Uh, and it literally opened up a bunch of different avenues. Uh, you know, prior to that, in watching the old WWWF and studio wrestling out of Pittsburgh, which I loved, and no criticism whatsoever to it, but now... Um, watching these guys and I'm seeing a, a very different approach and a very different element to wrestling. Uh, it, it was, you know, like watching a movie without a soundtrack and suddenly somebody puts a soundtrack to it and it just explodes the, the experience open to you. That's what the NWA was to me. Uh, again, no criticism whatsoever to the WWWF that I watched in studio wrestling, but for me, I, I had become, I have become, from that point as a kid, moving forward, somebody who was much more interested in the technicalities of wrestling, you know, the chaining and you know, you know the the fighting for a hold as as opposed to the the dance equivalent of here's my arm, you take it, and I'll take yours. Uh, and that was what I was seeing in the NWA, you know. So with Jim, uh, I wasn't familiar at that point with where all the places he had been and what his history was in the business. Uh, but I did know from, for me, like Jim Cornette, you know, like the BC would be eight, 1985, 86 before cable. And suddenly when I, you know, you know, after having cable and the superstation and being able to watch that and, you know, Jim to me was like then, the modern equivalent of what Freddie Blassie had been in WWWF, uh, what Lou Albano had been, uh, Arnold Skoland, uh, whoever, but that, but better, you know, it, it was now here's a guy who's talking in words and phrases that at that time were relevant, uh, not talking in words and phrases from 20 or 30 years before. Uh, you know, it, it just was like suddenly there was black and white movies and now here's color movies. And, you know, Jim was, I was mesmerized with, with Jim. You know, when I first, as a kid watching Superstation, WTBS, and seeing Jim Cornette perform, it was like, Suddenly, there was all these different there were all these different parameters to a manager, and it it, it wasn't just a uh, 
a two-dimensional thing entity that stood at ringside and got involved in the finish or whatever, suddenly the manager, in this case Jim Cornette with Midnight Express, was a functional part of it. And instantly you had to, you know, he drew, you, you drew your eyes to him. Uh, whether it was you were watching him on TV or, as I would later find out, uh, working against them, you knew that Jim was going to be a functional part of that match. It wasn't going to be, he's just standing at ringside with his tennis racket. And when the, when the finish comes up, he'll be there and, and execute as he should. Jim, you know, for all intents and purposes, Midnight Express was a three-man tag team. Uh, he was as integral to that tag team getting over as was Dennis Condry uh, earlier and Bobby Eaton, as Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton would be later. Jim Cordette was a part of that tag team. That was a tag team, which by very definition is two people, that was made up of three-thirds. Uh, there was Jim Cornette and then the other two guys, and that's not taking anything away from Dennis, Bobby, or Stan. All three of them incredible in their own right. But Jim Cornette was an equal functioning partner of that tag team. And that was completely radically different than anything I'd seen from managers before as a fan watching wrestling. So, yeah, to be there now working with them, learning from them, and getting a chance to talk over in the back uh, with Jim and, and going over these things, it, it just so expanded the horizon. You know, there was so much more that was now possible. Um, I don't think at that point I had enough gumption to believe that I could be a heel at some point. Because at that time, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed guys were baby faces, pure and simple, white me baby faces. But it's obvious in hindsight, and I can tell you with clarity in, in my memory, things that the franchise character would later portray. There was a big chunk of that that was learned by working with Jim Cornette then. You know, so I always like when you hear people talk about the transformation of Shane Douglas, right, from this young white meat baby face to this foul mouth heel character that he became. That, you know, there was a, you know, everybody that I watched, uh, everybody that I worked with, you know, from the Dick Murdoch and Dick Slater's and, and Terry Tanner's and Eddie Gilbert's uh, to the people that I watched before that, the Dominic Nucci's and Bruno San Martino's and, you know, Bobby Duncan's and all those guys. There were pieces of all of them that were that were in there. There were times, in, and anybody that's ever worked knows what I'm talking about when I say the following. There are times that you're in a match where you're blown up, you get hit in the head, jarred, uh, and you know, you're scrambling to try to figure out what to do next. And in my head, I would think, you know, what would uh, Bruno do right now? What would Dominic Tanucci do right now? What would Harley Race do right now? What would Ric Flair do right now? What would Ricky Steamboat do right now? Jake Roberts, Jim Cornette, Bobby Eaton. There were times that, you know, depending on where you were in that match, uh, that those
those things would be instantly recalled from your memory and would allow you to get back on track and still keep the match in sync, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, so for me as a kid, at that time especially, you know, I was clearly in my learning phase of my career, nowhere near the talent that I would become in the business, uh, nowhere near qualified to even say what was, you know, uh, uh, successful or not successful in the business. But I was working with what I knew was some of the best in the world, uh, if not the very best in the world, with Bobby, Stan, and Jim. And, you know, again, a, a large part of what the franchise character would later become has its roots back to those matches, the, the, that angle, uh, that experience of working with those guys. Um, I was so blessed and fortunate because those guys at that time weren't about politicking and, hey, how can we use these guys to get ourselves over and, and uh, screw them, you know, but, you know, this going to be our way <coughs> to continue making money. They saw it uh, as a way to teach a couple snot-nosed kids, me and Johnny, and at the same time make themselves more relevant. And along the way, at the end of the segment, I always anybody who's ever done a seminar with will tell you I've, I've used this phrase. The perfect scenario is when a segment, an angle, a match, uh, a storyline, if at the end of that match, that storyline, that angle, uh, it's done properly, everybody that's involved should be elevated at the end of that. It shouldn't be, uh, you know, the half-assed ones are where, okay, uh, Chad, I'm going to put you against uh, JP. And at the end of the JP is going to be elevated. You're going to be slid down a few spots. But at least we get JP over. That's a half-assed scenario. Uh, the great bookers and great execution would be at the end of that, regardless of who wins or loses. Both you and JP are over more at the end of that than you were going in. And I would dare say that for me, especially working with Midnight Express and Jim Cornette, I was worth vastly more at the end of that, regardless of whether I won or lost. I was worth far more after that angle than I was going into that angle. And that is, and, and so were they by having gone over. That's the perfect scenario in, in wrestling booking. So great looking back. And obviously uh, there's one key element that I absolutely loved about this match. And it is on YouTube and it, and it is very accessible. But the thing I loved about it is, Shane, watching matches of yours for years, hearing Jim Ross, hearing Joey Styles, hearing Gorilla Monsoon, but being able to hear Lance Russell call this match Love was Lance. very cool and a, and a very uh just a, a key part of the actual match itself is hearing lance russell's commentary you know hey lance was a great guy he really was anybody any of us that knew lance i don't know anybody that knew him that didn't love him uh just a fantastic guy and a fantastic announcer uh you know all those guys you mentioned uh they would take whatever it was they were calling. And much like Jim did with me and Johnny, teaching us to be, to be worth more regardless of whether we won or lost, at the end of any segment that Lance Russell and guys that were on that on par professionally 
and announcing, they would make that segment worth so much more than if you just put an average announcer in there. Uh, Lance, you've heard me talk before about Joey, uh, you know, coming around and, you know, helping come up with names for moves and that sort of thing. Uh, Lance didn't, he wasn't that uh, pretentious. He would never come in and say, hey, I, I think you should call this move this or that. But he would come in every taping and say, hey, I see you're working with uh, Midnight Express and Jim Cornette later tonight. And, you know, he would, you'd have a full discussion with them. Like he was doing his homework so that when he was calling that match, it wasn't just, hey, let me talk generically about this team or that team or this wrestler or that wrestler. He was giving a guided tour to the fans sitting at home, uh, the insider's view, if you will. And, uh, you know, that kind of professionalism, I don't know if you see very much anymore. I, I don't know if the announcers in the companies today are allowed, afforded the time to do that, you know, as opposed to, hey, here's the script. We know what we're going to say, and let's just move forward. Uh, the great announcers that I've worked with, all those you mentioned, Joey, Jim Ross, Lance Russell, Gordon Soley, uh, uh, those did their homework. You know, there was no script. They couldn't go to the writing staff and say, hey, you know, what is Midnight Express and the Dynamic Dudes going to be doing tonight? They did that. They took it upon themselves and had the volition to go out and do that. Uh, Lance was a sweetheart of a human being. Uh, top notch. I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say anything bad about Lance Russell, and I certainly would never say anything bad about him. Uh, I miss him. I think the business misses him. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I'm just thankful I've had the opportunity to work with guys like that because uh, I learned from each and every one of them. And where I sit today, all the franchise character achieved was based in part on things I learned from each and every one of these guys that I've worked with, Lance Russell included. Uh, uh, just a fantastic guy. Yeah, one, one of the all-time greats. And uh, I, I am mentioning Cornette as well because i got to get this plug out, Shane. But we are doing a 35th anniversary of the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette at TNPTCon 3 in Richmond, Virginia on May 18th. And a lot more information to come that I think you might even have a little bit of interest in their franchise. So I uh, wanted to tie the story in for the two of you in on this show to kind of get the ball rolling in the right direction as we build towards May 18th down there at the Holiday Inn on Commerce Road in Richmond, Virginia. Already signed, Stan Lane, Dennis Condry, Bobby Eaton, the Rock and Roll Express, and Jim Cornette. So we're headed in the right direction. Nice. nice. Hey, 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 you know, with all this discussion about Midnight Express, it, it has to go without saying, does Stan Lane have the nicest teeth in wrestling history? <laughs> he very well I mean, may. He's got that, that, that set of teeth that like when he smiles, you like almost want to see the ting, the little the little star shot, shoot off his tooth, right? I mean, it's like the, the most beautiful smile and teeth in wrestling history. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm not going to lie. I didn't mind him as a, uh, as a commentator when he did the, uh, the WWF run he had in 93-94. He wasn't terrible, you know. He had that perfect voice for a uh, for a babyface announcer. I uh, I dug Stan Lane uh, on the commentary. I don't know. I might be in the minority on that one. No, well, you know, I did too. And you know, the fact that he went on after to you know 
know, uh, to be a commentator for speedboat racing for a long time. Uh, and I believe, you, you know, I may be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure he was in radio before that. Uh, you know, so Stan, you know, one of the things that Stan would do in the dressing room, you know, sort of like the peek behind the scene for the fans is, you know, like we'd be in the back talking about the match and he would almost do like commentary. You know, then Shane Douglas, you grab Bobby Eaton's, and he would like, you know, in that voice, you know, go through that in the back and, uh, you know, break everybody up in the dressing room. You know, there's uh, Stan had a, uh, he had a, a wit about him, like a, a wry uh, sense of humor that, like, and, and, and doing those kind of things that, you know, would break the dressing room up. And, you know, that, that was one of the parts of being in the dressing room. You know, and you're traveling around with guys. Three three hundred and fifty days a year, that can get monotonous fast. And looking back, I don't remember many nights that I felt were monotonous. Like every night seemed like uh, a bit of an adventure, and you know, like, like there was always a uh, an air of excitement. Um, and I don't think it's happenstance. I was thinking about this earlier today. I don't after watching the link. Uh, I don't think it's happened answer coincidence that you know after all these years i still enjoy performing i still enjoy getting out in front of the audience because uh you know you've heard other wrestlers sure talk about this you know once it's in your blood it's, it's a very powerful opiate and you know you always beckon back to those things when you watch like for someone like me that watches a, a match again on youtube and, and and you see a match from 30 years ago 25 years ago uh you know, it brings back a lot of good memories. Uh, there's a lot of negative in our business. Uh, the, the travel is difficult. Uh, the being away from your family and friends is harder. And, you know, it, it could get to be a real grind if you didn't have guys that you enjoyed being on the road with, looked forward to seeing and working with. Uh, and that was really what I had in, in the NWA. You know, there, to be clear, there were times that I would get furious about certain things. But looking back at it, as a kid who only desired to learn his his craft, uh, I had some incredible talent, some of the all-time greatest talent in our business to have worked with and learned from and stood side-by-side side with. Uh, we call it giving the rub in the wrestling business. And I was given the opportunity to get the rub from some incredible all-time greats in the business. Uh, I'll be forever thankful for that, having had that opportunity. Uh, I've said it a million times, I'd love to be 20 years old again, but I'm thankful I'm not 20 years old breaking into the business today, and that I would, when I was 20 years old, the business I was breaking into was setting the, the, uh, the launch pad for incredible numbers that would come, numbers that no promoter could have ever dreamt of, uh, you know, the 48 to 52 million fans watching wrestling in this country alone, uh, you know, at the peak years of my career. Uh, it, it was an incredible experience to have been part of. And, you know, like, uh, you know, you hear people tell stories and sometimes people think you're embellishing because, again, people are looking through contemporary eyes, right? Oh, come on. You sold the building out that many times. Uh, you had that many, you know, 350 nights a year, you guys had sellouts or close. Yeah. You know, everything, the stories that you've heard, 
about the business then are all true. Uh, we were all verifiable rock stars. And, you know, to walk into a hotel and have, you know, 100, 150 fans in the, in the lobby of the hotel, uh, in the hotel bar, uh, you know, the restaurant next door, was something you had to experience. And, you know, I'm so thankful I got the chance to experience that because it really was magic. And, you know, we all got to be a part of that. And that's, you know, something you can't put a, a price tag on. You know, so like I said, I'm, I'm thankful I was 20 when I was 20 and got the chance to experience that because I, I got to, you know, uh, what's the saying, you know, uh, you know, walk the golden path. You know, I, I got the chance to, to, to see incredible things and work with talent that today is, you know, considered legend. Uh, you got the chance to work with the Midnight Express. You got a chance to work with Harley Race. You got a chance to work with this guy, that guy, the other guy. Yes, I did, and I learned from every one of them, and I, I consider myself blessed to have had the opportunity. And we are blessed to just be sharing those stories with you each and every week here on the Triple Threat Podcast. We will forego AFA. We will rejoin that next week. And again, for all that information on TMPT Con 3, as well as the Triple Threat Podcast, Head over to tmptofwrestling.com. Hit us all up on Twitter at the franchise SD, at Two Man Power Trip, at Wrestling Pal, and at the Three Threat Pod for all show related material as we continue to grow this little thing into a monster. And Shane, we appreciate everything this week. This was a fun one. Very, uh, it was <laughs> to cover two topics in an hour and twenty minutes is pretty damn awesome, and that's. Uh, that is a testament to uh, to the content itself. But uh, appreciate the time this week, franchise, and share with the listeners where you're going to be coming up, doing your thing in the squared circle. And, uh, this last weekend off, my holidays and and this weekend. Uh, but next uh, Saturday, the 26th, I will be in Parlin, New uh, Jersey, and uh, looking forward to it. Cut some promos last night and got them sent off. And uh, looking forward to it. Going to have a lot of fun. It's just excited to get back out on the road. But it's got to, I'd be lying if I told you that having the uh, the extended vacation off, spending time with the boys has been fantastic. And uh, but looking forward to getting back on the road next Saturday, the twenty sixth, in Parlin, New Jersey. Awesome! It's going to be an amazing time out there in the dirty jurors for the franchise one more time. And we're going to wrap this baby up and get on the road to episode number seventy nine going to be a fun one so stay tuned and shane appreciate it again jp you're the man franchise take us out and only the way you can and get us on the road to another episode hey number 78 now done in history and you're listening to it as we speak but make sure you turn in next week number 79 because if you miss it you'll get your ass franchised <laughs> thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading.